Militer di Myanmar dan Papua sama saja Tapua serang warga dan tapula sayang nyawa Gan tapula saat malam yang berpulang akan datang Lihat kepula nasab Thank you to everyone joining us I know you're hearing an unfamiliar voice in an unfamiliar setting But rest assured this is the Inside Myanmar podcast And we have something different and special for you today as many will be aware, the situation in Myanmar is escalating and day by day, innocent civilians are being killed, maimed, starved and forced from their homes. The military continues their campaign of terror and we need funds to support the many civilian victims of their relentless attacks. To this end, let me welcome you to the Artists Against Tyranny auction. I'm sure to some people that sounds somewhat jarring. It's natural to think that now, the middle of the greatest crisis that Myanmar has ever faced, is not the time for art. But let me, and the outstanding artists that we have speaking with us today, convince you that now is exactly the time for art. Art is often seen as a luxury, the reserve of the wealthy and the fortunate, a refined pursuit far removed from the grit and blood of war, terror and death. But art is the raw essence of human experience, distilled beyond words and thoughts directly tapping into our emotions. It is for this reason that art and revolution go hand in hand. Art allows us to express our most primal feelings, and in Myanmar those feelings are a burning desire for freedom, democracy, justice, peace, and an end to the suffering. It is through art that rappers, painters, poets, graffiti artists, video editors and creatives of all media and all walks of life have expressed their opposition to the junta and emboldened their compatriots to continue the march to victory. It is through art that the true horror and carnage of the military's reign of terror can be conveyed to people all over the world. Art is a vital medium through which people have their voices heard and with which we can empower people the world over to put pressure on the military to release their death grip on the nation and give power back to the people. Today, a New York City art gallery has graciously donated its space for free to showcase revolutionary art from Myanmar artists to highlight the plight of the Myanmar people and artists from all around the world united in using art to fight back against dictatorship, oppression, terror and tyranny. Some pieces on display today are biting, others are hauntingly beautiful, but all of it is inspiring. You will be seeing or hearing some of these works today and we will be talking to some of the talented young artists about their work, their philosophy and their hope for the future. Right now, the people of Myanmar desperately need help. In a country of over 50 million, every ninth person is suffering food shortages. In the coming months, this is expected to increase to 26 million. Over 2 million people have already been displaced, fighting off starvation, COVID and exposure with no food, no medicine and no shelter, completely at the mercy of nature and the military. Thousands upon thousands of brave government workers, police, and even soldiers have abandoned the military machine, refusing to work for a dictatorship, but in doing so, have lost their income and many have been forced to flee arrest. The people are in dire need of help, and to provide that help, we need funds. To that end, our main event will be the second annual Artists Against Tyranny Charity Art Auction, held over two days, the 11th and the 12th of this month, Eastern US time, or the 12th and 13th if you are in the Eastern Hemisphere. Many talented artists are putting their art up for auction to raise funds and support their compatriots in the struggle for freedom. Other artists have donated their time in live performances which will be broadcast as part of our live show, which will be well worth checking out. Today, we are all part of art as a tool for opposing tyranny by raising awareness for the military's crimes while also raising funds to support their victims. This promises to be an incredible event, raising money for a truly worthy cause. We hope that anybody listening will take the time to see what's on offer, spread the word, and maybe buy an exquisite work of art for a good cause. The more money we can raise, the more lives we can save, and the sooner we can end the military's campaign of death and destruction. 
So please, stick with us as we hear these talented artists tell us their stories in their own words and follow the auction and live show at the links provided. Yeah. We fight for a real revolution You ain't the one but we the many So cut the crap cause you ain't shit Now we count down from 10 to 1 No more frustrating to a shameless We toss your love in the bin Yes man, just did we win Could you uh, tell us a little bit about the activism work that you do, how you got into uh, activism and, and and the impact that you're trying to have on not, not just individual people, but uh, on sort of society more generally? Um, the activism work that I do, I think um, it's, it's highly influenced by um, how I was raised. I was raised with a lot of ex-political prisoners, a lot of freedom fighters, ex-guerrilla fighters, reporters. Um, uh, so I think that is what helped me to be emboldened to um, stand up for things that I believe in. Um, and so I started um, with Burmese, specifically Burmese activism, um, when I was a teenager in 2006, um, and I um, I led a school walkout. I also um, was uh, protesting in front of the Burmese embassy and the White House during the Saffron Revolution. So um, that's how I started. Um, currently, I um, am a part of USACM, uh, which is a lobbying team well, we worked uh, closely with uh, Senator Ben Cardin to um, help push, uh, help write um, for the the Burma Act, and um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I'm the PR person of the Freedom, Justice, Equality for Myanmar uh, organization, and um, we have ground teams inside of uh, the country all over Myanmar. And then we also um, have teams in the U.S. where we're mo mostly based in the uh, uh, D DMV area around D.C. I just wanted to touch on this because you are clearly, you know, you're based in the United States. Your, your activist pedigree uh, includes Washington, D.C. It includes Baltimore. It includes uh, a lot of other places. And 
at the same time, you've you've also got a strong focus on the Myanmar context. How how is that for you? having both that US context and that Myanmar context, how do you personally relate to that? And how is your identity shaped around that? So what I'm asking for is, is how do you, how do you personally see yourself? How, how American do you see yourself? How Burmese do you see yourself? And is that ever in conflict with the way that the people around you perceive you? Yes, it's constantly in conflict. Um, I see myself as I see myself as Burmese. Um, I was born in Yangon. Um, I also see myself as a Burmese person who have traveled the world and who lived in the U.S., but also um, lived in different parts of the world. So I, I have a different context. Um, the more, the more you travel, the more you immerse yourself with other people's culture. The more you can really understand. Uh, another's perspective in the world and you can reevaluate your context that you come from. Um, I know that when I lived in Yangon, um, when I was a child, I had a very different context. There's things that um, I value still till this day. And there's things that I see as like narrow-minded. Um, and now I see as like different things once I'm a little bit more educated I think that there's things inside uh, Burmese culture that is highly homophobic, highly sexist, racist. Um, there's levels of colorism and that's all. Um, a lot of it is the context of colonialism and um, the grappling of trying to keep your own identity and also trying to not be lesser. So if you see somebody that colonized you, uh, you you kind of have a, a very um, demented idealization of that person. And so there's that context. So when I encounter a lot of Burmese people or Myanmar people and they, they say something sexist, homophobic or racist, and I um, say a different view, they say it's because I'm Americanized. And I don't think so because... Um, it's just knowing the cultural context of things. The more I hung out with Native Americans here, the more I understood, oh, okay, like Myanmar is also tribal. You know, there's also a lot of things that we learned from colonization that taught us that we need to hide who we are. If you go to a Burmese restaurant in America, you use a, a knife and a fork. That's not how we eat. We eat with our hands. And I have no problem reclaiming that as our own and not being ashamed. So I go to an, like, an Ethiopian place, I go to an Ethiopian household, they eat with their hands and they have no shame inside of themselves because they were not colonized. And so it's just trying to understand the context of things. Also, as, you know, as someone that lives in America, um, I'm always othered because I look different. I think differently, I sound different. Um, and so, you know, if I you know, want to uh, take care of my elderly grandmother, that's within my culture, that's within our culture, to take care of, to have this responsibility. Um, and a lot of people are like, oh, why don't you just take her to the old folks home? That's something that I could never do because that's a duty that I have and that's very Burmese of me. 
um, that I would like to keep and I would like to continue teaching. Um, so there's there's a, um, a mix of things that I keep um, that I think are not toxic or colonial um, from our culture. There's things that I um, bring to other people so that they would know this is who we are like as a people, this is who I am as a person. Um, to people that don't really understand uh, Burmese culture, Burmese people. Absolutely. I think you, you've touched on some very important and very deep things here. When we look at culture, when we look internally, we look at our own cultures, it, it it's very easy to simply label a culture and say, oh, I'm ashamed of my culture, or saying, oh, I'm just proud of my culture, and refusing to recognize that duality. And you see in, in both the Western culture and the, the Burmese culture, you see the positives and the negatives. And one thing that I think is very important is the ability of a culture to change, to recognize its flaws and to progress. And I think that we are definitely seeing that currently, even though we're in the midst of a terrible revolution, even though we're dealing with, once again, the massacres and, and the savagery of the military, the indiscriminate death, there's a lot of social progress that is currently occurring. There's a lot of recognition uh, of ethnic minorities who had previously been marginalized and ignored by the Bama majority, now suddenly being recognized as having had very legitimate gripes. Uh, we're seeing the younger generation say, we respect the elder generation, we do, but right now this is our fight and we need to fight this. And the elder generation telling us to be quiet, let this pass and just accept things the way they are, is not going to fly. Do you see the current conflict, as terrible as it is, as a potential for much broader, much wider social change, lasting social change in the Myanmar context? I have hope that we can get there. Um, I think that some type of truth and reconciliation is a necessary way forward. I know that's how South Africa went forward after their revolution. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that the British has done. There's a lot of things the Japanese have done. There's a lot of things that the Burmese uh, king has done and uh, to other um, indigenous nations. and. I, you know, there's, so we have to really be able to face ourselves, you know, not just, not just Burma, but globally, there's a whole movement of really looking at history and the context of the history that we're in and moving forward. There's a lot of movements in America. There's a lot of movements all over the world. Um, you know, right here in America, they're trying to teach critical race theory. That is very necessary. And I think within our revolution, even though it's heartbreaking and beyond ruthless, um, people have had enough of oppression of totalitarianism. And so, um, but, you know, if, if you've only experienced uh, life through those contexts, through that type of, that level of oppression, and brainwashing, then it's hard to wrap your head around a new idea. 
and I have I have empathy and compassion for our people, and I think that with a lot more discussions like this, um, with a lot more um, youth-led movements, but even uh, I don't want to be ageist. I don't think that um, there's there's so many ideas that elders have that are amazing, um, and there's so many ideas that young people have that are not the best because of lack of experience or um, whatever else or lack of understanding of context. So I don't think that necessarily it's the youth versus the, the elders. I just think that there's things that if, if you truly want freedom, freedom, you know, you can't have freedom for one type of person. You can't have freedom for just Burmese, male, um, upper class people. That doesn't make any sense. You need to look at other contexts like everybody else um, need to have that same type of um, opportunity. And how I think we can reach that is when we are accountable for past things and also current things and being malleable um, and having more conversations to help um, shape the context of what a real revolution looks like. Absolutely. And, and I noticed you're talking about the past and, and reckoning with the past. And you're talking about the difficulty of a society, not an individual person necessarily, but an entire society changing its, its mindset and adapting to new concepts. But I'm wondering also about the opposite of this. When we look at the Myanmar context, we know that there is currently a very violent revolution underway. We know that in 2007, there was similarly a violent uh, crackdown against the Saffron Revolution. Um, of course, in 2008, Cyclone Nargis, uh, horrendous loss of life, which the military did very little to ameliorate, 1988, very famously. And there have been a series of attacks and crackdowns over the last 50 years, give or take. Uh, and that's only the post-independence history of the country. Do you feel that there is an extent to which this repeated cycle of violence and oppression has left a, a very deep psychological mark on Burmese society, on Myanmar society, and has, in a sense, oriented the, the mentality of society in a certain direction? Yeah, I do. It's trauma. Um, there's there's so much trauma, um, and I think that that's why we need to address it. If we don't face something, it will repeat. If we don't learn from history, it does repeat. Um, it's it's only natural if um, the lesson is not learned, then some other type of way of oppression uh, continues or endures. Um, so I think like being critical about that um, is necessary, but also like emboldening your compassion for for people because most people do not have mental health access, and that is very detrimental. There's intergenerational uh, there's intergenerational trauma, and this inter intergenerational trauma like has been going on for a long time for 
60 years of oppression and then uh, from the military, from the, um, from the junta, and then before that with uh, two colonizers, and then before that with the kings and like separating of the different nations. So people still um, are fighting um, with, with all of those things that are not addressed um, in their psyche. And um, there's, a, there's a lot of strength and resilience in our people. And I do think that once we address these, these issues internally and also externally, uh, internally with the ind individual self, um, with the willingness to, to listen, um, and also to externally have these conversations to deepen a type of uh, cultural change. But not only that, there's like, with, within the military, there's a, there's a lot of brainwashing from, um, you know, from having women, there's a lot of sexism in that too. Uh, a woman would get married to a soldier, and if she is not the the servant of a higher ranking soldier's uh, wife, then her husband could potentially be put in a more dangerous situation. Um, and if he passes away, there's a lottery system where her name gets put in, and a single soldier will draw from that lottery system. And if he pulls out her name, he marries her. That is, you know, that's the type of brainwashing and sexism. All of, all of these things are very inter, intersectional. And all of this, because it's not addressed on both sides, there's, there's this trauma. I mean, you're talking about uh, the military, and I think it's a very, it's, I want to call it fascinating, but it, it's also just revolting in its in its way the way that women are seen within military culture uh i i've personally conjectured many times that the the Dumbador, the, the Myanmar military would qualify as a cult in the way that it operates and women seem to be integral possessions within that structure uh women are, are vessels of rank you marry a higher ranking officer's daughter or sister, they produce children that will become future soldiers, and they are basically sent off, as you've said, as uh, as domestic servants to the wives of superior officers in order to, to earn favor. Uh, it, it's a terrible, terrible life. And yet there's, there's a, an even more fascinating element of this sexism, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you were following this back in uh, February or March, the Tamen Kantat, the, the barriers of women's clothing that were strung up across the streets in Yangon. Uh, do, do you have any thoughts on that particular tradition and the way in which, specifically the, the youthful protesters draped themselves in women's clothing as a, as a protest against societal norms while the military refused to walk underneath women's clothing? Yeah, so that that is right there, um, huge traumatic uh, sexist wound, right? So um, my my specific opinion um, is that within within uh, within uh, Burmese Buddhism, um, the lower part of your body 
um, is considered ponene, um, which means that it will take away your power, your strength. Um, so if you're wearing a tame, which is the lower um, garb, and it's a woman's garb, um, in a lot of Burmese culture, there's a lot of sexism um, intertwined with religion. And this, um, this garb is like, for the youth, this was like a liberation. This was, this is my tame, and it's not, it's not uh, diminishing. You know, this is my resistance. This is me as a woman, you know, saying that I'm strong and we are resisting against this totalitarian uh, damaro. But um, they refuse to walk under there because there's this belief that if a man walks underneath a woman's like, um, you know, any type of lower lower garment um, on, below the hip, that um, he will have less power. That means that he could he could potentially be um, killed easier. Um, he would have bad luck. There's like a whole range of things, right? That also goes into protest out in D.C. There was a very empowered woman who was holding her tame, and she's she's younger, and she was waving the flag, uh, waving the tame as a flag, and she's like, yeah. And while that was happening, there was uh, also a protester who was a man in his 40s who took her tamein flag out of her hand, put it on top of Mayon Line, the general Mayon Line's um, face who was on the ground that people were stomping on, and he put her tamein on top of it, and he started spitting and stomping on her tamein, and wrote Mayon Line underneath. And I was the MC, and I yelled at him in front of hundreds of people because this is our culture, that this is the, the disconnect because it's not just Damero, like this is what we need to change as people. Um, so yes, Damero is horrible. Genocide is beyond atrocious and oppression is beyond atrocious. I'm talking about once we get this freedom, what are we gonna do with it? And when, when there's somebody, there's two people fighting for freedom. There's two people fighting against totalitarianism in the same space. And this is what he does, right? So this is the type of backwards thinking that we need to, um, you know, rise above from. And that only happens with internal analysis and more conversations. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's a very poignant and very important point to sort of say it's, it's not enough to win. You know, it, winning doesn't mean anything if you're not creating something better, if you're not walking away from it in that way. And I think that there's a lot to be said for the difference between the two factions, between, the, I, would, I wouldn't even say factions, the difference between the two fundamental ideologies. And the Tamein is just one example. Um, you know, as I said, some of the youth, male youth, wore the Tamein. Uh, as a sign of, of protest, while we saw the military and the police gathering Tamein and burning them uh, in the cities. Uh, and, and this goes all the way back to Anoyata, who was allegedly undermined. His pawn was taken away by, by Tamein that were thrown onto his, um, I think, effigy. And he was, he was gored to death by uh, wild beasts as a result. We saw women in Yangon using even menstrual pads 
to repel the military, which they were absolutely terrified of. Um, and, and we're seeing these changes, but what's really, really beautiful about this is that the protesters are reacting nonviolently. They're using tamain, they're using superstition, um, curses even, uh, against Minao Lying and the high-ranking military, black magic, as it were. And there's a lot to be said about being better morally. And I want to touch back on what you said previously. You were talking about truth and reconciliation, uh, which happened in South Africa. And similar processes happened in Liberia and in Rwanda uh, after their uh, respective crises. And I think it's very important to note that the people who are on the side of democracy are not talking about retribution. They're not talking about lynch mobs. They're not talking about perpetuating the same cycle of terror. They're talking about justice. They're talking about the rule of law and answering for your crimes, not just suffering the vengeance and the anger of your victims. How important do you think it is that the pro-democracy movement maintains the moral high ground throughout this conflict? I think it's very important. Um, and though I understand, you know, if your child has been taken away from you and you feel angry about it, and that's a very normal feeling to have, and revenge is a very normal human trait, but to, to be, to ask for, um, to ask for, to ask for equality and to ask for all of these, um, ideals, like we need to be better than who we're, we're fighting against. You know, if somebody, I'm not saying turn the other cheek, I'm saying there's multiple ways of activism, like you were saying about the menstrual pads, you know, use, use their, use their sexism against them. There's so many, um, clever ways to do something without, um, being violent. And I think that's very important. Um, though I do understand, um, the, the anger behind it. I think when, when, when a person is angry, it's like, um, being blacked out drunk. You, you have no actual, um, recollection or control of what you're doing because you're just consumed by this poison that you've drank. Mm, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that that's really the genesis of it. I think everyone will convince themselves in one instance that they're doing the right thing, that they can't help other people if they're not in a position of power to justify seeking that position of power, you know, pathologically. But in the end of the day, if you're no better than the people you're replacing, then what was the point? You know. Um, so I want to move a little bit back to you personally and your activism. And one of the most important elements of your activism, and I don't want to diminish the other things that you that you do, um, because you do a lot for a lot of marginalized communities. Uh, and the one that impressed me the most actually is is working for the exoneration of death row inmates, which I think is is a is a a beautiful thing to do and it's very depressing that it needs to be done um because the 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 justice system is is so flawed in many ways but i want to focus specifically on the burma act 
Um, so this is a this is an important piece of uh, potential legislation currently sitting before the U.S. Congress. Uh, would you like to talk a little bit about what that is and uh, and what you've been doing to try and help this move forward? Yeah. Um, so the Burma Act uh, was created by our team, uh, USACM, and there's so many people um, on this team uh, coming from all of these other um, pro-democracy uh, for Myanmar teams all over the U.S. Um, and it, it all started with uh, Mama Min. She is a as a, a voter in uh, in the um, in Maryland, and she she was the one that got her foot in the door with Senator Ben Cardin, and that's when we started to have conversations with him and other um, other senators and other Congress people and um, ambassadors to push for. Um, cutting the monetary fund of um, the the Damara, like because you can't have a civil war without funds. And if we sanction MOGE, which is a huge gas conglomerate, um, and Chevron is one of the com- uh, companies in the US that is directly profiting from our people's genocide, once we cut that money line and there's a sanction involved, um, that's very powerful uh, to fight against the the Demero, the 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 junta, and um, another thing is to prevent um, the IM to influence the IMF to not fund um, to not loan uh, money to the military, which is also very important. The IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Um, Another another push is to help people that are running and escaping um, from our country to bordering countries. And since um, some of the bordering countries are part of ASEAN, um, they are more in cahoots with the military. And so even if people somehow make it out and there's a, a warrant for their arrest or there's... Um, a shoot to kill order, they can still be sent back. And that's very unfortunate. And so that that is, um, you know, to help the the people that are escaping is very important. It's very vital. Absolutely. No, I, was, look, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't even call it unfortunate. I, I would call it a miscarriage of justice uh, and a violation of international uh, human rights and refugee conventions. So it's truly, uh, it's truly horrendous that that this is the situation that we're in, and I think that a lot of people are a little bit despondent right now. A lot of people are looking at the situation on the ground, and they they're asking the question like, why aren't we focused on ground operations? Why are we off in the political realm? Why are we giving speeches? Why are we shaking hands? Why are we doing these things? But it's important to remember the role that this sort of activism plays and that the political process plays. Yes, it is glacially slow. Yes, there is a lot of self-interest involved. But as you say, if we can convince governments, not necessarily to support the NUG and oppose the military, but to at very least 
protect the rights of individual people, to not allow the situation to deteriorate, to not fund the military. That's a huge step forward. And the bottom line is, uh, as, as you know, you were pointing out as well, money. The military needs money. Everybody needs money. Money wins conflicts. And of course, we this weekend, we have the, uh, the art auction, Artists Against Tyranny. Our hope is also to raise money, not to buy weapons, not to buy bombs, not to kill people, but to help the victims of the military, to help the people who don't have shelter, to help the people who don't have food, to help the people who have nowhere left to run and are literally in fear for their lives. And I just want to um, remind everyone that that's going on. And I, I want to move on to your uh, personal artistic side as well, because you're contributing a work to uh, to the art show this weekend as well, aren't you? Yes, I am. Um, I think um, I I have time for one poem, so one or one or two. So I'm not sure, um, but yeah, um, I'm contributing a work. Um, I am the first um, Burmese American to represent the state of Maryland in the HBO's um, Brave New Voices uh, competition. And we made it to semifinals, but we got defeated by Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Almost there, no cigar yet. But but so, yeah. um, So poetry is is a really good um, medium for, honest reflection for me and also like it's a way I can totally say what I feel without any thing to encumber me so um I think that's it's very powerful um you know I have a very nuanced perspective of things so um my poetry is not everyone's cup of tea but I think that's (laughs) I think that's necessary (laughs) And I mean, absolutely. Like art has to be subjective and there are tastes, but ultimately the purpose of art is not to be pleasant. It's not to be polite and appeal to everyone. The purpose of art is to convey human experience to a human mind uh, quickly and effectively. And sometimes that requires an intrusion. Sometimes that requires that we convey something that someone doesn't necessarily want to accept. Not necessarily something they don't want to hear. They hear it every day. They just don't want to accept that it is part of their everyday lives. Do you feel that poetry in particular, but art more generally, is a a tool uh, through which we can focus on injustices and process them personally or societally? Yeah, that's what spoken word is about. So spoken word poetry is very different than um, having a reading or um, writing poetry in a book. It's more performative. And um, globally, the way spoken word poetry works is it's very geared towards um, activism. So I think that um, it's not just activism uh, on on geopolitical scales, but it's activism, you know, with just combating all of um, all of the things we wish we can better in society. I think that's like very um, nuanced. There's also like love poems and all these other things, 
but um, you know, even self-love is very radical. So um, that is, uh, yeah, that's that's right. For uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, I performed a poet poem uh, in front of the monument, and um, it was it was called Haka on Your White Supremacy, and that poem did not go well with the police, <laughs> but. <laughs> but it went well with people that were walking by and they just paused and reflected rather than us just shouting um, and passerby is just like hearing bits and pieces of, of um, shouting. Um, if you're sitting there and, and or you're standing and you hear somebody performing a poem and they pause and they, um, it's sort of like very nuanced. It's very similar to, um, you know, this spoken word poetry came from beatniks, beatniks, um, and um, a lot of like, like the Dead Poet Society, a lot of hip hop influence, uh, jazz. So that that type of activism is already there, um, and it's it's more inviting for people to listen. Absolutely, and and I find that it is quite a unique. And poetry exists in so many forms, and I think spoken word poetry sort of feels to me like poetry the way that it was designed. I, I remember when we studied poetry back in high school and back then we were young, we didn't understand or appreciate poetry as we should have. And, and I remember my teacher telling me, the reason you don't like the poem is because you're reading it off a page and poetry was never meant to be read. Poetry was meant to be heard. It was meant to be experienced. It, it isn't just a series of words there is a musicality and a, a rhythm to it. And there are a lot of um, poets who, who, for me personally, they may not be very well known in the you know spoken word poetry circles, but Bo Sia, uh, Julian Curry, uh, I found their commentaries on racial experiences. Um, Julian Curry is African-American, Bo Sia is, is Asian-American. Um, to be really poignant and really powerful and expressing a point in, you know, a three-minute performance, which otherwise would have taken an hour-long lecture and would have turned a lot of people off. But through poetry, you sort of, you grasp the emotion behind why the point is being made and the context in which it is being made significantly more than in another way. Do you feel that poetry, even compared with other forms of art, has this uncanny ability to just cut through and push discourse in ways that other things just don't seem to. Yeah, most definitely. It's like um, cutting cheese with a hot knife. You know, it's easier. Um, it's it, it like uh, it does make everything more concise and more palatable, um, and it's palatable because it creates a level of discomfort, and so you're like, "Ooh, what is this?" Um, but it's it's very it's, it's concise, so it's like it's easier to hear than a two-hour lecture about the same topic. And it's uh, it, it's more to um, there's a lot of different tools. There's cadence, um, which you don't get when you're reading. Uh, you don't get what you what the what the author was intending. Um, if if you don't mind, do you think I can like read that poem that I performed? Um, in the Black Lives Matter. Uh, I mean, absolutely. I was, I was kind of hoping you would uh, 
uh, you would grace us with a poetic performance, uh, but I didn't want to impose. Oh no, you're not imposing. I just, I just wanted to provide a little bit of context. So I wrote this poem um, to give a little context because I was very tired of um, white supremacy. So this poem is against white supremacy. Um, so it's called Haka on Your White Supremacy. I wish I could squirt blood out of my eyes like a lizard does for protection. Sometimes my frustration at white ignorance gets carried away. But I'd rather bloody your little white lies, bloody delusional and your white privilege bliss bubble, your, your white cotton trying to damn us, damn our menstrual flow from which we came. We came from bodies bloodied with ancestry, yet brown people are deemed too emotional. I would posit that you're too apathetic, your families have participated, and you personally are still profiting from native genocide, enslaved black people, treated black people subhuman, line them up, auction block these beautiful black people, tell them they're ugly generationally, force a standard of beauty based on you, sell body parts, tear apart families, silence their languages, take away their religion, dangle hope of white Jesus saving them. Hope is a nice carrot. Keep hope alive, but stop doing. Keep hope alive, yet atrophy educational access. Keep hope alive, yet let's feed my students with your nutritionally deficient food. Keep starving my students with your white wonder bread. Keep hope alive and stop promoting critical thinking. Keep hope alive and stop reading government policy. That shit is too confusing anyways. Let's distract everybody with sports and social media. Keep hope alive, people but black people are being murdered back then and now. Black people are dying. And this is a quote, all people will die one day. Black lists them as criminals. Black people are enslaved in the prison pipeline. This is another quote. Oh, they probably did something to deserve it. A dime bag traded in for life for for-profit prison. There's white people in jail too. Hashtag all lives matter. Your white noise is microaggression. Do you know many of my friends are filled with questions, questions of family trees, black people relying on Ancestry.com to decipher their own heritage. Line them up, enslave these slanted eyes. We are expendable. Hammer clinks on the side of railroads in the West. The clinking sound became a racial slur for Asians. Pat yourself on the back for your white wit. Asian bodies are still buried underground under the railroads that they built. But we're not real minorities. Look at our success. We're not proof of your melting pot working. Ugh, it tastes like every Asian man casts it as a sidekick, but never a lead. He's only good for sidekicks. He's used for comedy relief. Give Asian characters to white people with tape around their eyes. Ugh, it tastes like Keanu Reeves playing Buddha. Ugh, it tastes like my middle school. Dasu. Join math club instead of spoken word poetry. You're not a real minority and this program's for real minorities. This melting pot has me wondering why I'm always asked where I'm from, China or Japan. Yes, you know, all Asians only come from the Northern part of the continent. Your model minority was suspected as a prostitute in Ashburn, Virginia, because I have an Asian, Asian name. You know, I went to college so I can be stereotyped as a sex trafficked woman. Only good for happy endings. Look, ma, no more glass ceiling or racial profiling. Look at how well we're treated. Asians are modeled minorities. We can, um, why can't other minorities be submissive like us? You cannot use our success to gaslight other minorities oppressed. We're not your modeled minority. 
lined them up, cut off native hair in the 1700s, deem their culture savage, steal their children, ship them to boarding schools, silence native languages, so the next generation will forget how to communicate with their elders, trade their moccasins for your loafers, your ancestors will continue stealing. You know, Elizabeth Warren, the Cherokee princess, wore a cheap headdress as a fashion statement. It's not savage if it's on your head. Make racist headbands in elementary schools. Your Thanksgiving is based on massacres. You know, my friends, every Thanksgiving, go to honor their ancestors in front of Plymouth Rock every year. If it's so equal and about gratefulness, then how come in Thanksgiving meals, there's nothing native in the menu? Thought it was two cultures who came together for a meal. Was Thanksgiving another white lie? Divvy up their land after you steal and plant a flag. Give nomadic people a plot of land to live in. Tell them to farm when it's not their custom. Further down the generations, your ancestors will remain taking, bulldoze native people's graves for fossil fuels. The XL pipeline is currently leaking as I speak. Trail of broken treaties, volunteers, and now pipelines. Our melanin, our activated charcoal chests, turned into diamonds with all that generational pressure, the weight of oppression. You said our expression is aggressive. Our diamond voice box cutter cuts with precision. Our expression deemed too violent. Our expression matches our daily experience. You want to continue taking and appropriating minority cultures. I want to haka you out of your veiled racism. I want to kali your white supremacy. I want to ignite your apathy in Pele's volcano. I want you to harry carry your internal and generational oppression. I want to drown your subconscious oppression in the clarity of Yamaya's water. I feel juxtaposed. I want to be optimistic in your potential. I want everyone to truly be equal even you who are oppressing us, you who have been benefiting from white privilege, I simply and wholeheartedly want everyone to find peace. And I'm not a martyr, enlightened or fully balanced, and not all medicine is sweet and welcoming. I will no longer be your on-call teacher. Don't gaslight me with my own culture. Don't explain away my rape and how I'm attracting rape vibes with my karma. How if I was a little bit more bodhisattva, if I was a little less angry, I'd build a bridge. I cannot speak delicately all the time to placate your guilt. I'm not even asking you to be guilty. I'm asking you to reflect. Is there something in the way of seeing yourself clearly in the mirror? Until then, I wish I could squirt blood out of my eyes like Elizabeth does for, for, for protection. Sometimes my, my frustration at white ignorance gets carried away. I think that was an excellent example of why poetry cuts through discourse in a way that a speech just wouldn't. And I, there's just what there's just one piece. This is Keanu Reeves playing Buddha. Yeah, that caught that one took me off balance. I'm not going to lie. Uh, was that a reference to a specific movie, or was that just an outlandish comparison? No, it's a movie. All of these things that I said was uh, historically true. So yeah, most of them I recognized, but that was new to me. Yeah, he tanned himself. And he spoke with a weird fake Indian accent. And he had like, yeah, he, he played Buddha <laughs> with tape around his own. I, I legitimately thought you just created an outlandish example. Cause that... Yeah, even, even Holly Berry from Cloud Atlas, she had tape around her eyes when she was uh, reincarnated as a Japanese person. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I don't know the controversy about that. 
Um, the title, uh, so Hako and your white supremacy, is that's a, a reference to the the Maori uh, Hakka tradition? Yes, it is. Um, I have some Maori friends, and they, um, I asked, I was like, "Is this okay if you if I can use this? Would it be seen as disrespectful?" And they said, "No, a Hakka is like a your poem is a Hakka." because <laughs> they were saying that like it's a it's a dance to like to to be healing but it's also a dance to show that like your your people and your family is not to be messed with and so yeah no it's 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 a very powerful element the haka particularly um i, I find them very powerful because uh, that there are haka for grieving and for funerary rites. There are haka for celebration. There's haka for conflict. There are so many different types. They're just much like poetry. The haka is a, a an expression of raw emotion in a very direct and powerful way that sort of demands not to be interrupted. Discourse is interrupted. Poetry demands not to be interrupted. A haka demands not to be interrupted. It's, it's an expression and you can choose to leave or you can choose to experience it, but you will experience it on the terms in which it is being presented to you. You will not modify and change it in the presentation. Um, and I think that that's a very, a very important distinction in the ways that we traditionally approach uh, discourse and disagreements uh, within that discourse. Um, so I just wanted to ask quickly, do you find that the activism that you do and the social movements and the way that your art relates to the social movements of the Eastern uh, context and the Western context that you find yourself in are more similar or more different to one another? Um, do you mind rephrasing the question? So, okay, absolutely. <laughs> so... Do you, do you find as you utilize art to deal with uh, social injustices and to try and heal those social wounds, do you find that the types of issues and the ways that those issues can be approached in the U.S. context and in the Myanmar context are reasonably similar to one another? Or do you find that they are diametrically opposed and they need to have very different types of, of approaches and very different types of art? Um, I think they are similar because in in Myanmar there's a tradition called Thanjet in um, in uh, our New Year's our uh, water festival and people every year they like air out their grievances in spoken word like um, performances. It's usually group performances or sometimes it's by themselves, and so this is a so to me, spoken word poetry is thanjet. So if you if you just know how to describe what you're doing, then people are like, oh, okay, it's not the traditional prose or like, you know, boring read off a book. Um, it's like I'm performing it to you, um, except I'm not on a manda, which is like a stage, right? So, um, so I think with that, yeah, I think that's it's very similar. Um, there's certain things because I'm younger, because I'm a woman, um, in both cultures, in the U.S. and in Myanmar, uh, and globally, like, 
it's going to be, my art is going to be taken less seriously. Um, so that that's there. Absolutely. So I just have one final question. What do you think is the role of art in the current conflict? Um, how can art best be utilized in the current Myanmar context? Art is a powerful motivator. I think it's a very powerful tool. So I think with poetry, I think um, what we said earlier, we can uh, cut straight to the raw um, message behind something. Um, and with with um, visual art, I remember when I was in London and I saw um, an ex-political prisoner who snuck his pieces out and he was painting with syringes and, um, you know, hand prison made uh, paint that, um, you know, showed like how they were treated and how he felt. And um, I think that's very powerful. Um, it describes your experience and connects the human experience. We might not have the same experience, but you can look at something and you can feel something from it, or you can hear something and feel something from it. And good art moves you. So um, I think uh, revolution and art goes hand in hand because it's meant to move people. So, you're from a small region in Sagain, uh, which is in the northwest of the country. And anyone who has been following the news will know that Sagain has seen some very terrible crimes uh, committed by the military. Can you tell us what it's like for the people in Sagain right now uh, suffering under the military dictatorship? Well, actually, Sagain region is obviously, it was, it was obviously a, a peaceful region, we can say. It is also like uh, where the most Burma people live. And, you know, there is a saying in Myanmar from, you know, from the lower, the people from the lower Burma says, uh, our region, they call our region Anya. You know, it means Upper Burma. So the people from Upper Burma, we, they call Anyada. So Anyada, you know, the, the people from Upper Burma are really honest and they are mostly farmers only and uh, you know they are how can I say they are just you know living in a very peaceful calm life and uh, not following uh, many pathways for the physical developments so just living in a small and very simple life so anyway after you know um, even you know how peaceful it was is uh, many ethnicities from other regions and states, especially from the hill areas. From the hilly areas, they might even see 
among people are getting freedom and democracy, you know, except the except their regions. So, but obviously after the coup, you know, the people from this region also suffers, you know, not only after the coup, but also over the last decades. Even, uh, you know, talking about my personal life, I was, you know, from a mem family member. I was a member of a family where there are LMB party members. My grandpa is, you know, the patron, patron of NLB uh, in 19, since 1988. And my brother is also, my brother is also a member, my eldest brother. He followed, uh, as a, he accompanied in a, uh, you know, in a, a campaign, in a campaign in 2003. You know, many people know that Tapayan trip. So it's like, so my family, uh, shortly my family, you know, suffers, you know, the, uh, over, you know, the threats and, you know, operations by the military over the last two decades. Not only my family, but also the people who are mostly farmers and very rural area, very rural people. After the coup, you know, even in my small town, one person got dead by gunshots. And then in our history, if, you know, uh, you may see the Wikipedia articles, you know, Encyclopedia, Myanmar Encyclopedia. Our town is a very peaceful, a very peaceful town in the country and where there was no suffering from the World War II as well. You know, in the World War II, our town even didn't suffer any, you know, damages by the war. But we, we, we usually got proud of that. But now, you know, after the coup in March, you know, I remember March 16th, on March 16th, you know, one man, one protester leader who was protesting, you know, peacefully at a nighttime protest, he was gunshot and killed. And the people who have seen, who have witnessed this event, cannot feel, cannot feel, you know, any longer patience, cannot bear this even to see. We have very, you know, we have very soft hearts, you know, but for now, you know, the operation behind the coup gender is, you know, not acceptable by any means. For those, even for those people who lived in a peaceful life, and then finally, you know, in our region, the people, uh, you know, the people who are, you know, very, you know, very peaceful, they started to, to be against, especially to fight back the group gender. Uh, so it means, uh, you know, uh, our region is, you know, uh, full of, uh, you know, not that you know heroes in history and also right now even so they are they are uh, they are very special and different uh, from other regions because of the geographic because of the geographical locations and, and next to the you know 
next to India and next to the border to India and also uh, very close to Chen State and Kachin State. So the people are now, uh, you know, fighting, uh, especially, you know, in uh, armed in armed waves, okay, in armed means. But at the same time, and, and this is very interesting, so today when we're recording this, it's uh, the 10th of December, 2021, and there is a nationwide silent strike where businesses are closed, people refuse to leave their homes, and they're, they're protesting against the military, not only not violently, but also protesting with complete silence. Can you tell us a little bit about this practice? Sure. Just today, you know, even for me, I'm I I'm not mostly active on social media, but uh, my my family members told told me yesterday that today is a silent strike, and I did not expect even you know people are now uh, forgetting how brutal how brutal the gender is, you know, in March and in, you know, in March and February, uh, nine to 10 months ago. So, but I was surprised by the fact that this morning when I went to the market and I, everywhere I saw, you may even now hear no voice, no sound, no noise or the traffic, you know, uh, all the shops, all the you know, all the tea shops and all the restaurants and all the stores and all, even you know the vendors who carry their vegetables and beans and go around the town and even they don't come to the market. They don't even sell, and all the traffic is now you know silent. And I was surprised. Oh, our people are united and. We can show up our wish not to be not to live under the coup, under the military rule, you know, by means of the silent means. So I was surprised, and uh, you know, especially I. Uh, let me say I'm living by a big road, so it is very usually heavy traffic, and you will see the noises or the traffic in the other days, in the previous days, but not today. I did, I even didn't expect that there will be such, that will be that much united our people are to show up their wish, to, although we cannot speak up. And and I think it's really important that you say that you you cannot speak up because we have such examples of censorship not just the government you know telling people or oh, you can't say this but the government killing people or rather the military I should say killing people uh, artists and writers for for criticizing them and for you as uh, I, I think we could say uh, an amateur journalist and and a writer, what is that like, knowing that you live in a country where people are being killed for expressing their opinions? Obviously, you know, when the, when the coup gender started to, uh, to crack down their peaceful protests, even in my small village, 
even in my small town the people you know the people were very at the time very active and all the people came out on the roads and then at the time i was also you know reporting to the news local news media and then you know by by doing by sending the videos or uh, you know photos secretly so for even for you know for that i i we had we had to do it secretly not publicly so for me you, i can say that i am safe now because i did not do it publicly but for the other friends i know for the, especially for the protest leaders who is my cousin and my friends they have already been arrested and then you know we have no news from them and then you know even uh, you know from you know okay for example the a teacher who i know uh, who is joining civil disobedience movement she is still hiding many people not only she many people are still many friends or my are still hiding from the you know military so it means like if we can show publicly you know I, for example i am safe and i am pretending i am living like a normal person and not, not a public uh, not a public figure just doing my my you know my citizen jobs uh, as a citizen journalist and sometimes i i just i just text to my international friends what is happening in, in my area right now and I just like that very secretly so i am i can live at, safe at the time but you know i have to be careful even to post uh, to write something on facebook or whatever i must i must be very careful you know i have uh, i have many friends who speak up on even on social media and facebook you know you know the secret informers the secret informers from you know from the military side they informed the police and other you know, they informed and this is this guy is fighting this and then very recently maybe a few hours later and then that man was arrested that guy was arrested so even to speak up it is you know not only to speak up but also to show up by other means like writing on facebook so the freedom of expression is totally lost at this time and and i think this is a a very important weapon for the military because if the international community does not know the things that they are doing then the international community cannot stop them so to you and you and you continue to write you continue to inform uh the international community through your writing of the situation that is happening and uh, of of your perspective how important is it that people continue to spread information and they continue to inform the world of what the military does yep 
As for the military, as for the military agenda, they want to totally block out the internet, obviously. But they cannot also, you know, do this because of the international, you know, organizations and governments' uh, open uh, statements against their, you know, against this. Uh, against this uh, freedom of expression. So international communities are also pointing out not to block out the internet totally. But they try and other options. For example, right now they are increasing they are increasing the you know prices of internet data packages and trying to you know trace you know trying to trace the Facebook accounts who are very active and speak up against them, so something like that. So they are also uh, watching, they are also watching as much as they can uh, who is spreading the information, who is, you know, speaking up and something like that. So for them, for the citizens, we also have to be, sometimes some people uh, do not accept any new friends. We don't dare to accept any new friends. So we are sharing the information only in our communities who are very close and very friendly to us and something like that. So we have to share our information uh, to our friends. Even, you know, if, if we share the information from our friends to friends or friends, you know, it, it might be, it, may, it can be dangerous, you know, in their friends or friends, there can be, you know, the secret informers that can inform the group uh, gender, you know, the, the, the military forces. Let me call only, uh, you know, let me only call them evils and uh, hereafter. You know, I don't want to say that word military group or group gender. I will say, okay, evils, they are really evils. So anyway, so to share the information, we have we have still some, you know, the internet has only a few months. For example, I'm also uh, use the cellular networks also Wi-Fi. So for the for the cellular networks, they are increasing the prices. So this is obviously the the, the reasons behind the increase of prices are. Uh, they are, you know, arrangement. They are, uh, this is embraceable hands behind this reason. So, anyway, to share the information, uh, we have to, you know, only rely on the uh, social media and also, you know, uh, just phone calls. Even phone calls are not safe anymore because uh, because uh, we can be tracked. So, we are using some other, you know, you know encrypted apps instead of Facebook, Messenger, and other apps, you know, encrypted apps to be safer in speaking and communicating. So uh, some people are also not not having the internet connection in some areas in my region. So they are just texting, they are texting, you know, SMS messages to, to share the news and something like that. So this is uh, really happening in my region so for the people uh, some people who put especially for the older people who don't have 
any Facebook account or who don't have any phone, they they also have to listen to the you know radio and radio news secretly, secretly, very secretly. We cannot turn on them, you know, speaker very loudly. Even you know the group chat blocked the local news like Mizima news and also the satellites, VSI satellites from time from Thailand. Uh, they also block on and then they they want from one house to another house to check if there is a blue you know if there is a black satellite which means psi satellite so we cannot we cannot watch the news uh, publicly we can but some uh, for the people uh, you know secretly watching such, such kinds of news local news who are giving the real Ground, ground information, reality, ground information, and also listening to the radio news, uh, like just like uh, uh, you know, only you know, very few a handful uh, news, local news media. So, but anyway, we are still having the information, uh, what is happening in country and in our region. And that's you know an important thing for us to maintain. It's important for us to know what is happening. And and we have the deepest respect for those of you who are putting yourselves in danger uh, to do this. But of course, the reason that we're talking today is because this weekend we have an art auction in New York. And we're hoping to raise a lot of money to help the, the people, the victims of the military junta, and also to raise awareness in the Western world, uh, so that people know through art exactly what is, uh, what is going on. How important do you think art has become in spreading awareness and helping us fight against the military? Okay. Not as a professional artist, but, uh, you know, a major, a major artist. The art is, you know, uh, the art is a, a kind of weapon that we can, show up our feelings, you know, with no words, you know, for example, you know, an art, maybe, you know, something, uh, maybe, uh, you know, you know, on Facebook, on social media, uh, you know, you can also see, you know, the cartoons that are joking at the, you know, the evils, you know, crazy orders not to write on the on the same not 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 to write two by two people on the same cycle on the same bicycle. Uh, sorry, on the same cycle. So something like that. So uh, they are uh, sometimes in some cartoons there is no words, but it's only you know very you know very effective and very you know uh, very uh, can describe and uh, can describe very how can i say effectively okay well what are our feelings and what is happening in our country so i mean okay so the art auction uh, i i heard about this the art auction uh, from my friends and also i was uh, interested in joining this art auction but for me uh, i'm not in painting i'm not i'm not the artist in painting i'm just an as a you know an amateur writer an amateur writer so i you know before just before this art ocean i was also writing some articles you know to show our feelings and what is happening and 
you know, to my friends personally and individually. And sometimes I wrote some articles, you know, for example, from the perspectives or a Buddhist, you know, Buddhist perspective, for example. You know, uh, I even also wrote some months ago, you know, uh, about Mara. Mara means, you know, you know, they you know, they one kind of, you know, spiritual divine who attacked the Lord Buddha, the enlightened one. So, so he, he was not, you know, he was not doing good merits, uh, you know, uh, all throughout his former lives, but the Buddha did. But he wants, you know, he wants the, you know, the throne, let me say, okay, uh, that throne, the throne of the Buddha under the bow tree, you know, without any good merits he has done. He was just to grab, you know, the throne in a, in, in a violent way, in an unfair way, you know, unfair way. But who success? Only the enlightened one uh, took victory over him with non-violence. So anyway, for the people, you know, at this very hard time, we cannot show up our feelings. We cannot show up our, you know, wish not to live under this unfair rule. But by means or art, for example, the assignment strike is also a kind of art. Today, you can see this is a kind of really, you know, effective weapon. In other means, I have also seen, you know, uh, people are very good in creative, you know, art not as a painting, not as a writings, even though, you know, uh, for example, we don't, we don't encourage, you know, we don't support or we don't buy, you know, from the, you know, we don't buy anything, we don't want, we don't buy, we don't buy from the, you know, uh, the group gender supported businesses. So this is also kind of art. And also people are sharing this information and people are following and you know, do we against this rule. So unfair, this injustice. So anyway, you know, we, you, you can also see the other kinds of art, for example, you know, you know, people prepared, people prepared a grave, you know, even in my small village, they prepared a grave. It, it was in March, I remember. So it, you know, the people prepared a grave and put the, you know, put the, you know, flowers near the grave and then they, they write and then only the words, you know, only the words, the name of the evil chief, you know, the name of the evil chief, writing the name. So M-A-L, okay, so the name of the uh, evil chief. So and then uh, they, they also show up even in there, you know, very remote, you know, maybe in the forestry area, or and then they, they took a photo and then they they posted it on Facebook and social media and they shared it. And then this is also kind of showing they are expressed by means or art, you know. Many, many other things are creative ways and uh, uh, creative ways or art. So for this art auction, you know, no, everybody, everybody with a humane sense, in a humane sense, everybody knows this is an unfair, this is unfair and not justice. So the art is the 
weapon to show up our feeling in any creative ways as the you know as the very young protester um, said in their slogan when we were protesting they said now is 2021 not 1988 so the today generations are very good and creative you know and they are showing up their uh, wishes in creative ways rather than uh, you know they can't even expect what is uh, going on what are the people doing the eagles can't expect so the art is very important i want to circle back to something that you uh, were talking about a little bit before you were talking about buddhist teaching and examples from from history and i know that you have written about the conflict between buddhism and what the military is doing and we also know that the military consider themselves to be buddhists and they consider themselves to be doing what is correct how, how do you feel about the military's view on their actions and buddhism okay soon after the coup in february i was interviewed uh, and i i said it in uh, in that interview you know according to the buddhist teachings for a ruler there are 10 disciplines there are 10 ethics or of a ruler just only measure with that only only measure with that standard you know in that 10 ethics of a ruler you know the ruler must not be against the wish of the people so this is the first point they they took they were against them both they were against them wish of the people where we show our vote in 2020 general elections so this is the first point they violated the Buddhist teachings of ethics of a ruler second their ruler must be patient and must not be harming his people. So uh, I said two and three. So, you know, Akoda and, you know, uh, in Pali, okay. So Akoda means not be, you know, angry, not be hatred, whatever, with whatever the people, you know, are saying or whatever, even they criticize. So, Against these ethics, they started to violate and crack down in violent ways. So this means they are no longer Buddhist, especially from a very, very basic of five processions, which called Pankasila. So in Pankasila, as a Buddhist, we simply have to abstain abstain from killing even the animals but they are they have already killed many people's lives and also they have already destroyed many other many people's uh, homes and lives so to to get back to the turn ethics of a ruler he must not be he must be he must be patient he must bear the people, even though 
even if they are criticizing at him. So, so by mentioning even this more, you know, this basic、uh, principles, this basic ethics of a ruler from the Buddha's teachings, they have already, you know, no longer be a Buddhist, obviously. Although they are just showing, you know, how can I say? And how they are showing in traits, you know, traits like they are guarding the Buddha's teachings. In in indeed, they must they must first remove their ego, remove their greed, remove their you know,、uh, how can I say, anger. You know, they cannot do they cannot do any followers any obedience. You know, do according to the Buddha's teaching. So this is the first thing I talked after the coup in February. So obviously the Buddha's teachings are, you know, not to be violent, to to be to be patient enough. You know, even though someone is, you know, someone is attacking you and someone is attack and、uh, criticizing you as for a ruler, it must be more than you know more brightest. It must be more brightest. Than the normal citizens, then you know, then you know you can see, you can see the many accusations or the evils they are、uh, pretending they are like a Buddh, real Buddhist and guarding the Buddha's teachings, and you know,、uh, criticizing、uh, the the ladies, criticizing the ladies,、uh, you know,、uh, marriage to、uh, you know to a white person. So, you know.、Uh, Even comparing to each other, you know, the lady did not show up, did not did not express, "Oh, I am a Buddhist and I am following and I am guarding the Buddha's teaching." She never said that. But what is she practicing and what is she doing? All are in according, you know, in accordance with the Buddha's teachings. She has, for example, over the last administration, she followed, you know. Uh, she was criticized in many points, you know, many spots, many situations, every, you know. But she never responded, you know, in a violent way and to crack down or brutally, you know. She was just even, you know, arranging, you know, with meter, you know, loving kindness and patience, you know, something like that. So, so it is obvious who is a real Buddhist or not. Absolutely. And so on this topic, because it is clear that you are very knowledgeable and very experienced with this,、um, your contribution to the art auction that we have is a collection of、uh, Buddhist writings. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. Would you like to speak to us a little bit about、uh, exactly what that collection is and why that's important to you? Okay. So, in in this book,、uh, you will see. Uh, you was you were not seeing very much political situations about the country, but in ground, you will see it 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 reflects the my letters my letters reflect, you know the the ground situations, for the you know for many of the people, you know in our country, so. In this letter, it although it reflects all about Dhamma, but you can see、uh, the you know the connection with the Dhamma, the connection between you know Buddha's teachings and the you know 
current situations. For example, one we you know one the people the peaceful protest were cracked down after after the peaceful cracks after the peaceful protest were cracked down especially in march and february march and april okay so uh, you know people people were seemed like okay they gave up they gave up they seem it seemed uh, people gave up and they are going back to their normal life or uh, they are going back uh, to live in peaceful life peaceful way and then everything is uh, it seems it seems everything is running uh, going well uh, as normal but when i want down to to be in a rural very remote rural area the people who are who are out of the information only just relying on the radio news even at that time the people uh, did not know how to how to get the news from radio as well so but the people did not give up in reality they did not give up the reality they practice their demand and for example to prevent and they send their loving kindness wishes to the to the you know to the peaceful protesters who are still who are still protesting and who are still fighting uh, publicly against the evils they are they send their mutual wishes and they do more good deeds and they do uh, the Maha, you know the Maha practices and uh, they send their mutual and in our Buddhist teachings uh, many people you know especially very innocent civilians you know from the rural very remote rural area they believe in this Okay, we do good deeds. We do good deeds uh, by this, uh, you know, we do good deeds and then uh, we share this with the people who are still working on, you know, peaceful protests and fighting. So they also get the fruition of, of their good merits, fruition of their good merits. So they are sending their loving kindness and they are, sometimes uh, they invite their monks uh, to chant Buddhist prayers uh, and Buddh, um, you know, uh, Buddhist canons. They, the monks uh, chant and then they share their merits with the people who are still working on the peaceful protests and also the whole country to be escaped from, the, from this dark from this dark and unfair uh, regime. So I saw, I have witnessed uh, these situations and, and related to, you know, related to our concerns, anxieties, when we are going to hear the noises or the, you know, gunshots uh, and bomb explosions. We are, we are always, you know, we are always getting tired of you know feeling anxious feeling worried all that about these things but to relieve to relieve at least to relieve at least and also our, our people you know our people are also wishing are still wishing for the people's victory only for the people's victory only so they they do their merits and they do they study uh, for example, in my letters, I studied uh, the Ma teachings and also related to some to our you know feelings and anxiety. For example, I wrote that you know 
when I was writing a letter at a very at a, at a very late night time, I was hearing I, I heard a noise of a gunshot, not a gunshot, many gunshots, and then I saw I uh, I heard that and I was you know I have to stop my writing the letter and uh, but in con in related you know to the Dhamma teachings oh this is not what I hear this is not what I hear and this is what I am what this is not what I am concerned so this is nature or the mental state arising and passing away so after after contemplating this Dhamma nature I I also sent my loving kindness wish to the you know, to the young young people who are fighting back against the unfair and injustice. So this is related to Dhamma much more, but you will see it reflects the country situations and what is the normal people, what are the normal people believing and you know it is very much related to Dhamma but it reflects the country situations because of the COVID that wave, COVID that wave, people also suffer a lot during this group. After you know, so you know, above you know, in addition to in addition to the sufferings for the group uh, brutal crackdowns, they also had to suffer you know, a lack of medical care from the state and you know, very disordered you know situations for the Hulk and you know many you know uh, many nightmares they have never expected and I think this this topic that you keep coming back to Mita um, of course our listeners would mostly be familiar with the concept of of Mita loving kindness and it's it's something that plays such an important role today in this conflict fighting the anger and the violence of the military with Mieta. And I think that one of the best ways of doing this is through art, because art is peaceful. Art is not violent. You know, art expresses an emotion. And that's what we're doing at the art auction uh, this weekend. We're trying to fight the military non-violently. We're trying to fight the military by raising money for their victims. Can you tell us what this money would mean to people who are in Myanmar on the ground suffering under the military? How much of a difference can this help make in their lives? In August, in August especially, after the COVID-19 that wave, the, the rural people, even not only in the rural areas, but also in the town, they suffered, uh, you know, both sickness and also the increases, you know, the price, the prices increasing a lot. And also lack of lack of you know medical medicine and you know you know like oxygen and whatever everything we need the prices are very you know and you know uncomparably increasing at the time so you know at the time you know for the farmers let me express because I am from the rural area I would like to emphasize on the farmers. Experience, experiences. I studied, I, I have witnessed the farmers, they are, you know, just uh, living in their peaceful, normal life. But, you know, because of the coup and COVID 19, 
all the markets were closed, you know, and also, you know, they cannot even sell their crops. They cannot even sell their crops. And, you know, many, you know, uh, crisis, many crisis, for example, they sell their crops in very cheap prices, very cheap prices. And, you know, when they buy something they need, like medicine for their family, and there the prices are increasing too much. So, you know, I have witnessed many older people and sick people in the rural areas. You know, they they are almost they were almost shortage of food, shortage of food and also shortage of medicine. You know, everybody in the country suffered this. Not only not only that pro democracy, you know, people but also, you know, even the you know, military supporter. Everyone, everyone suffered this situation. The same, very similar situation, but the same situation is, you know, lack of medicine, lack of oxygen gas, and also lack of food, you know, shortage of food, and many other, you know, uh, for a human, you know, as for a human, even it cannot be expressed by words. You know, very people are you know uh, shortage of food. Even some people you know cannot buy a small you know a small amount of rice, rice and you know uh, vegetables. They cannot even they cannot even buy. So at the time, I also I was also working to contact my friends overseas, my friends from abroad. Uh, uh, telling these situations and then so I also try to reach out there you know AIDS you know they when they got when they got these AIDS they felt like they wanted to they wanted to sit down to kneel down and you know uh, pay you know homage pay homage to me to me and the you know the helpers Oh, because this is a great help for them. They cried. Some people, some older people were suffering, you know, a chronic, chronic stroke. Some people were, uh, okay, you know, even in very old couple. One, you know, the spout, one spout is suffering, you know, a seasonal flu, and another one is uh, working in the farms, uh, you know, very, you know, and, you know, in very cheap prices, they only and only you know, one thousand jets, one thousand Myanmar jets per, uh, you know, per day. So, uh, although you know, I I I I get I I reach out the humanitarian relief aids are all just a few thousands. You know, some people you know thirty thousand jets, but it is like a life for them. It is like a life i have given them a life to them they, they even said that and then i you know it was very you know heartfelt deeply sorrowful and you know you know very sympathy you know on their situations especially in the rural areas so this is only a normal for a normal citizen but also in other you know in other areas of the complex zones you know people are Leaving their homes and going to the forestry areas, going living in the forestry areas without any mosquito nets and other, you know, other sufferings. You know, even we can say, you know, 
in in the world, you know, our people was, you know, suffering and that the suffering the you know, troubles which no one imagined and expected as a human. So although our country is, you know, you know, although our country is living peacefully, but we have been you know, suffered we have already suffered many sufferings, you know, for a human. Militer di Myanmar dan Papua sama saja Tapua serang warga dan tapula sayang nyawa Gan tapula saat malam yang berpulang Akan datang lihat kepulan nasa pada di kumpulan Narak masa yang dapat teratur Berada tangan berbaut gerak nasib berangsur Dan dibayar langsung palan tangan ke udara Kepala tegak penuh harap jalan tetap terbukakan Ke yang tegak berusaha Luar sangkarang kajang kami muak dengan mereka yang barbar Kami sasar sampai dasar Api dalam rimah siap bakar Mereka makar main kasar militer Naik pasar rebut altar Kami bongkar sampai akar Rima pakar dari antar Pembuat bar untuk Myanmar You've been listening to the Insight Myanmar podcast We'd appreciate it very much If you could rate, review, and or share this podcast Every little bit of feedback helps You can also subscribe to the Insight Myanmar podcast On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher or wherever else you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. If you can't find our feed on your podcast player, please just let us know and we'll ensure it can be offered there in the future. Also, make sure to check out our website for a list of our complete episodes, including additional text, videos, and other information available at insightmyanmar.org. And I also invite you to take a look at our new nonprofit organization at betterburma.org. There was certainly a lot to talk about in this episode, and we'd like to encourage listeners to keep the discussion going. Make a post, request specific questions, and join in on discussions currently going on on the Insight Myanmar podcast Facebook group. You're also most welcome to follow our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts by the same name. If you're not on social media, feel free to message us directly at info at insightmyanmar.org. Or, if you'd like to start up a discussion group on another platform, let us know, and we can share that form here. Finally, we're open to suggestions about guests or topics for future episodes. So, if you have someone or something in mind, please do be in touch. We would like to take this time to thank everyone who made this podcast possible. Currently, our team consists of two sound engineers, Mike Bink and Martin Combs. There's, of course, Zach Hessler, content collaborator and part-time co-host. Ken Pransky helps with editing. And a special Mongolian volunteer who is asked to remain anonymous does our social media templates. In light of the ongoing crisis in Myanmar, a number of volunteers have stepped in to lend a hand as well. And so we'd like to take this time to appreciate their effort in our time of need. And we're always on the lookout for more volunteers during this critical time. So if you'd like to contribute, definitely let us know. We'd also like to thank everyone who has assisted us in arranging for the guests we've interviewed so far. And of course, we send a big thank you to the guests themselves for agreeing to come on and share such personal, powerful stories. Finally, we're immensely grateful for the donors who made this entire thing possible. We want to remind our listeners that the opinions expressed by our guests are their own and don't necessarily reflect the host or other podcast contributors. Please also note that as we are mainly a volunteer team, we do not have the capacity to fact check our guest interviews. By virtue of being invited on our show, 
There's a trust that they will be truthful and not misrepresent themselves or others. If you have any concerns about the statements made on this or other shows, please contact us. This recording is the exclusive right of Insight Myanmar podcast and may not be used without the expressed written permission of the podcast owner, which includes video, audio, written transcripts, or excerpts of any episodes. Also not meant to be used for commercial purposes. On the other hand, we're very open to collaboration. So if you have a particular idea in mind for sharing any of our podcasts or podcast-related information, please feel free to contact us with your proposal. If you would like to support our mission, we welcome your contribution. During this time of crisis, all donations now go towards supporting the protest movement in Myanmar through our new nonprofit, Better Burma. You may give by searching Better Burma on PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, GoFundMe, and Patreon, as well as via credit card at betterburma.org donation. You can also give right on our Insight Myanmar website, as all donations given there are directed towards the same fund. And with that, we're off to work on the next show, so see you next episode. Yeah. Yeah,